Hi, everybody. Uh, April, where are, where'd you go? You here? You're amazing. Thank you. Uh, she really sets a pretty incredible pace for everybody in this church on uh, what she's doing, and uh, I love being able to get to know your heart even better. Pretty cool. Uh, we are going to be in Romans chapter 8 today. Uh, by, before we begin, I just want to remind us, uh, hey, Lent started this last week. I don't know if any of you were able to make it to our Ash Wednesday service uh, at another one of our locations, but many of our uh, locations came together and got to kick off Lent. Lent is a very important season for a follower of Christ, and it's not too late to make sure that you really invest your time well uh, during this Lenten season as you prepare for Easter. During Lent, this is a chance to kind of slow down a little bit and really intentionally create space to draw close to Jesus. Uh, it's designed, uh, it, it's not necessarily a biblical practice per se, but it's, there's wisdom in taking seasons and rhythms in your life to slow down, to reflect more, to fast. Some of you will be fasting from food, fasting from TV, fasting from social media, to cut something out of your life to draw closer to Christ and prepare your heart for Easter. I just want to encourage you, if you haven't started yet, kind of intentionally working your way through Lent, it's not too late, uh, and I just want to encourage you to do so. With that, I'm going to pray over our time in the Word. Oh, Heavenly Father, God, I know you have a word for us this morning. And so as we open your Bible this morning, we pray for your spirit to guide our hearts, transform us, make us more like Jesus. Have your way with us. Don't let us leave here unchanged. Make us more like the person you're creating us to be. By the power of the Spirit within us, help us interpret your scriptures well and help us love you with greater passion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you go ahead and throw the picture up of my, uh, my family there, Brian. Uh, many of you know I'm an adoptive parent. I, uh, I've got the chance to adopt our two, uh, two of our three daughters. My middle one, Ruthie, uh, she's our biological daughter. And then Joy on the left in the pink uh, shirt, I guess it's a red shirt. And then Mira, short for Miracle, on the right. This was just last week at Sarah's birthday uh, party. Now you can leave that up for just a little bit. Many of you have been with us on this journey. We started the journey of being foster parents about three years ago, and that became the journey of becoming adoptive parents about, oh gosh, a year and a half, close to two years ago. And there are a lot of moments in the journey of becoming an adoptive parent that I remember explicitly clearly. And I think when I'm an old man one day, should the Lord allow that to happen, uh, I will still remember. I'll never forget the day that Donna... Donna goes to our church. Many of you know Donna. She was, uh, Donna, are you in this room? No? No. Uh, Donna was fostering and now has adopted uh, a little boy, Asher. And uh, she gave us a phone call. We were on our way to our foster class, and Donna said, Hey, Rafe, I just found out that Asher's sisters, his twin sisters, might be up for foster placement soon. Would you be interested? And my wife and I pulled the car over and said, Well, we were thinking one. I did. <laughs> I don't know if we're ready for two. What do you think, honey? I remember the day the twins got dropped off at our home. I remember the caseworker walking up the front steps and looking out the window and, and seeing her walking with these two little munchkins. I'd never seen their face, never knew anything about them, but I remember them walking up the stairs and opening the door and thinking, wow, this is a whole new thing. I had three little kids in this home now. I remember about a week after the girls had been in our home, you know, my, my wife is just naturally more emotional than me, and she had been on this emotional journey, but I had kind of stayed strong, and the emotions hadn't got to me in this whole thing yet. 
But about a week after the girls had been in our house, it wasn't sadness. It was just everything. Like, it just all, poof. Just this moment came over me. I was reading, I was trying to read a kid's book to my oldest daughter, Ruthie, and all of a sudden, I got hit by a tidal wave of emotion that I've never experienced anything like that but for one other time in my life, two other times in my life. And I started bawling uncontrollably. I, I cried like a baby. I, I cried so I, I got up, I couldn't even talk. I just, I looked at Sarah and, and she saw me. I just, I did this and I walked downstairs to the room and I just let the Lord do his work on me. Just a ball of emotion. I remember the court visits, standing, giving our story before a judge. I remember the first subtle hint of racism we experienced as a family. That was a new one for me. Things that I had walked alongside our church, and we're a multi-ethnic church, and as being a pastor in a multi-ethnic church, I have read a lot, and I, I know many of your stories. I've come alongside many of you, but to experience it as a dad is it's a whole other level. It's a whole other thing. And I remember that first moment of experiencing that and kind of like a, a punch in the gut. I remember receiving and reading all the paperwork of their story. You know, when you're a foster parent, you don't know much about your children that you have in your home. You know what they've told you. But right when you go to adopt, you get given a big stack of paperwork of their story. It's everything the courts have on them. And so I remember sitting down and saying, wow, we're about to learn about our daughters. And that, we spent that night reading and just learning about their story. And I'll never forget that. I remember the day of their adoption. I remember standing in a courtroom before a judge, and some of you guys were there. Family, friends were there, and, and just what a moment, my, just to stand there and realize what was taking place. And since then, I remember countless moments of being a proud dad to my three daughters. Perhaps the greatest language in the Bible that helps us understand the Christian faith is the language of adoption. Uh, many of us don't actually realize that that's such an important artery that runs through the centrality of the entire Christian narrative that we've been adopted into God's family. Adoption quite literally means that those who are not naturally, rightfully sons and daughters of someone get grafted in and become fully daughters, fully sons of the Father. It wasn't your right by birth, but you got brought in and you became adopted and of equal value to the natural son or daughter. Did you know that if you're a Christian, you've been adopted into God's family? That through what Jesus Christ has done, he has made way for you to be adopted into his family. Today, we continue our way through Romans chapter 8, and many have called Romans 8. You've heard us say it a few weeks now. Romans 8 has been considered by many to be the greatest chapter in the entire Bible. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. It's the great glorious news that God, because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf on the cross, has fully forgiven our sin. And there's no condemnation. No matter what you do from the moment you experience Jesus Christ and you receive him, no matter what more sin you bring into this story, no condemnation because Jesus took all of the condemnation. And today we learn not only did he take the condemnation, but he paid the cost for us to be adopted into the family of God. My heavenly daddy chose me. And then he adopted me into his family. It wasn't my own doing. It wasn't because I had anything of value to offer to the world, to the kingdom. It was just because he said, you're mine. And I was adopted. And so were you if you're in Christ. Now today's sermon is going to come in two parts. 
Part one, I only have a few verses here, so in part one, I'm going to do the exegesis. That means to draw meaning from. I'm going to draw meaning from the text. And then part two is going to be a little lengthier than often other sermons. I'm going to apply it to us as a church and talk about what the doctrine of adoption means for us as a church. So let's start with part one. What is the text saying? Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now pause there. He's setting up for the big language of being adopted. And he's, he's describing what it means to be a follower of Christ here. He says, so then. So then is like therefore. When you see so then, you realize it's connecting a previous thought to what he's trying to say. He's wrapping up his thoughts. He's saying, look... Christ has done everything that could ever be done to forgive you of your sins. You're no longer condemned in Christ. As a result of that, we're no longer debtors to the flesh. What does that mean? To be a debtor to the flesh is to owe somebody something. When you're a debtor, you owe somebody something. When you owe the flesh something, you're living a life of saying, I'm trying to prove myself. I'm trying to earn something. I'm trying to to pay off my debt on my own. It's a tiring way to go through life. It's trying to actually earn your own salvation. He says, whoa, when you accepted Christ, you threw that off. You're not a debtor to the flesh anymore. You are not beholden to your old way of life anymore. Rather, you have a new master, and he is good, and he is faithful, and you want to live for Christ, not for the flesh. And notice how the text tells us we're to put to death the deeds of the body. Very harsh language, isn't it? To put to death, to mortify. That language, is it should rub us a little bit the wrong way. To put something to death is not to kind of just allow it in your life. It's not to dislike it. It's not to kind of keep it there, but kind of keep it at an arm's length. To put something to death is to be done with it and to put it away. It's done. It has no more hold in your life and you get rid of it from your life altogether. And the Christian life, this is a recap of what we've seen in Romans. The Christian life is a continual journey of putting to death the deeds of the body. It's looking at the law of God and saying, God, I love your law. I love your ways and I'm different than what your ways say. I'm I'm much like the world. I think what it means to be a good person is what the world says it is to be a good person. But when I read your law, I see that your law is very different. And I want to be more like that. And so change me. And then you begin putting off your old ways of thinking. You begin putting off your old ways of believing what it means to have a good life and to be a good person and what it means to honor God. And you change. And the Christian life must have change in it. It's got to have change of it. As God gets a hold of you, your desires change from the inside out. There's a very real battle that takes place for your heart, and God God is victorious in the life of a Christian. But notice, we do this by the Spirit. You see that language? We do it by the Spirit. It's God who's given us His Holy Spirit that He does the work of changing our heart from the inside out. That's why no one can ever boast. No one ever gets to look at another Christian and say, why haven't you gotten over that sin yet? I got over it already. How come you haven't gotten over it? What we do is we relate to each other as sinners who are in the process of being changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who gets all the credit of transformation in our life. Robert Mounts, a commentator, says this, it's only when we break fellowship with the Spirit 
that our sinful nature is able to successfully reassert its fraudulent claim on our lives. The key to freedom from what we were is constant reliance on the active presence of the Spirit. I don't know if any of you play music, but it's kind of like tuning an instrument. You know, when, the, when you're tuning an instrument, you want to you bring the resonance in sync with each other. And that's what it means to follow Christ is you're listening to the Spirit and you're bringing your life into a, a constancy with the Holy Spirit that you're walking in alignment with the things He's saying, with what the Word is saying. And when you realize you're out of tune, you're, you're retuning and you're bringing your life in alignment with who God is. And I don't want to miss the harsh language of this passage, just verses 12 and 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You'll die. There's a way to live life that leads to death. And I want us to make sure before we get to adoption that we realize that Paul's actually writing this to people who are self-professed Christians. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. You will experience separation from God and eternity in hell. There is a way of life that leads that way, and there are many in our church and many in the Western church and many in the church around the globe that check off Christian, but actually on our path towards death and path towards hell. You might go by the title Christian, but if, if you have no concern for the deeds of the flesh in your life, if you don't care about sin in your life, and it's just there, you might not actually be a Christian. You might have checked the box but you might be on a road that ends in death. If you have no concern for indwelling sin and no concern for the things of God, no desire to see the kingdom of God grow, no desire to see the things of God take place in this world, if that desire is just not even there, and this is just a place you come on a Sunday, I'm not sure if you're actually a Christian. And I want to urge you, I don't want to miss this passage before I urge you, there's room at the table God's hands are always open. There's room to change and to actually accept Jesus and, and to move from the place of death to the place of life. And it's not just that we get life, but then he actually says we get adoption. Verses 14 to 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we might also be glorified with him. A person who demonstrates evidence in their life of the fruit of, the, of God's Spirit working has been declared a son and a daughter of God. Now, this is familial language. I want to... This is like the number one thing you got to get from today. When you become a Christian, you enter into familial language, a family with God. And that familial language is one of the things that makes Christianity so utterly unique from every other world religion. Islam will not give this to you. Islam rejects this language. It says you can't have that with God. It's Christianity that takes the claim that when you believe in Jesus, you can cry out, Abba, that's daddy. You cry out in familial, childlike faith to your heavenly father, and it's a father-child relationship. And notice, you know, if you look at the world around us and you listen to Oprah long enough, Oprah and people like Oprah will say something like this, all of us are children of God. Every person in the world is a child of God. Biblically, that's not true. Biblically, that's not true. 
Every person on this world is born in the image of God. What that means, no matter where you come from, no matter your country of origin, no matter your language, no matter your culture, no matter what, you are an image bearer of God. You're worthy of dignity, value, respect. You get that because you are, you are made in the image of God. But it's only the Christian who gets declared to be a son and a daughter of God because it's only the Christian that has experienced adoption. Every human being is made in the image of God, but only the Christian has been adopted into the family of God and gets to call God Father. R.C. Sproul says it this way, to address God as Father involves a relationship of intimacy. To be a member in good standing in the family of God is a privilege never to be passively assumed or taken for granted. In fact, it's the greatest privilege of all to be able to come to God as Father and address Him as Father. And notice that it's the Holy Spirit that's been placed within us that bears witness with our spirit. One of the things that happens when you accept Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit gets given to you. And he begins to transform you from the inside out. That in the long haul of your life, you're learning to love and and, and desire God your Father in more and more intimate and personal ways as you give him more and more access to your heart. The reality of this life is that you get let down a lot, don't you? Your church might let you down at times. Your family might let you down. Your friends might let you down. The world might let you down. Hard stuff happens. Many of you are in hard seasons. And and what the doctrine of adoption says is, no matter what this world brings to you, you have a familial father relationship with God if your faith is in Jesus Christ. And God sees you as a son and a daughter. Now, as a dad, let me tell you what that means. It means I love my children. It means I'm not letting them go. And even when they're hurting, even when they're in trouble, they can come to me and I rejoice in them coming to me. I want to ask you, when you're in a hard season, where do you run? Where do you run? I'll never forget. One of the first times that being a foster dad really resonated with me. It was about two months after the girls came to our home. We're at the park, and little Mira, she's mighty. This this little kid, she's feisty. She's got all the energy in the world. And she's, I think at the time, maybe two. And she goes down the slide at the park, and I'm off at the side with Sarah having a conversation. I see her going down the slide, and then I see her fall. And she scrapes her knee a little bit. And I wasn't sure, is this a knee scrape that she's going to need a hug, or is she just going to get up and go play? And I look at her, and I see little Mira pop up to her feet. And she's got this bewildered look on her eyes. And she starts looking around like this. And she's looking for me. And then she spots me. She spots Dad. And I see in her face, her eyes go, and I know her face so well, her eyes go from... I'm looking for dad to, I'm, I'm so scared right now. Everything is, her little face scrunches up so she can barely even see. She started screaming and she ran to me a thousand, as fast as her little legs would carry her. And she jumped in my arms and I held her close. And at that point, they were new in our home. And what they used to do is, they had never had a dad before me. And they used to put their face up against my scruff on my face. They used to rub it up right here like this because they, they never felt this before. And, they, she held, and I just held her like that. And what she needed was dad in that moment. She wanted to know that she was safe and she scraped her knee and she needed the loving arms of a dad who said, I got you. I got you. I'm stronger than you. I'm going to wipe the gravel off your knee and I'm not going to leave you. 
And that's what God wants from us. When you scrape your knee, he's looking for childlike faith to run to him. Where do you run when it's hard? Where do you run when it all falls apart? Where do you run when it's so hard you don't even know how you're going to get out of bed? See, that's the doctrine of adoption. The doctrine of adoption is that you have somewhere to run. Without the adoption, you don't have anywhere to run. You're, 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 you're obedient to the ways of the flesh. You, you try to find somewhere to run, and hopefully something gets you through the moment, but it doesn't actually last. In adoption, you have somewhere to actually run. And let me tell you, those are good arms to run to. Those are the arms you want to be running to. You want to be running to the Father who says, I'm not leaving you. I'm stronger than whatever you're going through. And notice the language it cries out, Abba, Father. That's the old first century way of saying, Daddy. Remember, Jesus, Jesus prayed that prayer first. He cried out, Abba, Father. Remember when it was? It was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his crucifixion, when he was sweating drops of blood in anxiety. That's a real thing that happens to humans when they're experiencing that much anxiety. You sweat blood. And in such pain and such anxiety of what was coming, he cried out, Daddy. And, and the Father was enough for him. See, where do you run? Church, we got to learn how to run to the Father. we got to understand what this adoption thing means for us. And we get the whole family with this. We become heirs and sufferers. You see that language, heirs and sufferers. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If children, then heirs. That's verse 17. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. To be an heir, not a second-class heir, but a full recipient, as if you were a rightful son or daughter of the Father. You know who the rightful son is? It's Jesus. He's the only one. He is the rightful son. It's his righteousness. It's his kingdom. It's his inheritance. But when you get adopted by faith in Jesus, when you trust in Jesus, all that is Jesus's gets applied to you. And you get his inheritance, you get his righteousness, you get his father as your father. It all gets applied into your life. I love how R.C. Sproul says it again, the work of the Spirit is not only to make us children of God and then to take up a dwelling place within our hearts, but also to give us an inner assurance of our standing with God. It is vitally important for the Christian to have assurance of salvation because we are heirs. You know, when you adopt a child in real world, when you adopt a child, the child's birth certificate gets changed. I remember we got a birth certificate the day after we adopted our children, and little Mira and Joy each get their new birth certificate, and in the line where it says, birth father, you know whose name is there? Mine. There's a legal standing change that's taken place in their life through adoption. And in the eyes of the state, I'm their dad, their rightful dad, not a second class, they're, they're not second class daughters, they're not less than daughters than Ruthie, full inheritors of whatever I have to give to them. They get it all in the kingdom of the Chenery family. They get all the Father's love. It's all for them, provided you suffer with him. Not only, that's the interesting, you're an inheritor of all that is Christ, but then also provided you suffer with him. You know, it's funny, these little girls, these twins of mine, they're becoming like their dad and their mom. 
They're taking on the family traits. They, they weren't naturally, but they didn't, you know, before they were in my home, there was no way they're going to have my traits specifically. But I'm watching them take on my traits. Little Joy walks around the house singing 24-7. If she's awake, she's singing. And that's what she does. You know who does that? I do. <laughs> I, I sing when I walk, when I'm, not when I'm with you guys, but when I'm by myself. I'm always humming something or singing something. Little, little Mira's taking on my goofiness. I'm watching her do it. And, and they're taking on Sarah's traits. They're becoming like their mom. And when you enter into the family of God through adoption, you take on the traits of the father and you enter into the family for all that is there for the good and the hard. You take on the family name, including suffering in this life for being a Christian. If I read that passage, in a week and a half, I get on a flight to Liberia to visit some partners of ours. We have two children uh, Lord willing, in the coming years that are being adopted from Liberia through a partner ministry of ours, and I'll be heading out there to go see the ministry and to be a part and encourage that, that partnership out there. And when I read that in some places around the world, provided you suffer with him, they go, yeah, we know that. We know what that means. For us, in our kind of comfy, cozy American cocoon, sometimes we got to remind ourselves that to be a Christian around the world, and, and here in some ways as well, is to be part of the whole family tradition. And part of that family tradition is that the world is not too keen on Christianity being Christianity. You know, when you think of your adoption, this is what I want you to think of. This is familial language. I need you to understand the imagery behind this. It's not that you had something to offer the king when he adopted you. He adopted you as a vulnerable child who had no strength of your own. Let me put a picture up behind me. A few days ago, I've been traveling a lot recently. A few days ago, I got on the airplane, and I left at 4.30 in the morning, and I, I woke up, and I had a letter waiting for me from my six-year-old. Here it is. You're the greater dad. Now, let's analyze this letter for a second. Let's just analyze this. She's got a combination of capital letters and lowercase letters. Am I right? This is not, this is, this is not the way you're supposed to write a letter. Uh, that G in greater, I'm pretty sure, was originally a lowercase e, and that got converted to a G. Uh, dad is all capital letters, and I love the way she spaced it, that dad ended up getting scrunched at the end. That's what always happens when she writes notes. She doesn't leave enough room for it at the end. By the way, greater is not a word. I don't know. You want to know something about that as a dad? I'll take that any day over anything. I'll take that over Shakespearean poetry any day. Any day. Give me that over a million bucks. You know why? Because this is what it means to be a child in the father's family. This is what the dad wants. Oh, this is all a dad wants. A dad wants his daughter to say, I love you, and I really don't have much to offer, but I just love you. Thanks for giving me a home. Thanks for giving me food. Thanks for giving me hugs. That's all we want. I'm looking at daughters. Are there any daughters here? I'm looking for, if you're a daughter, that's what your dad wants, right? I love you. Thank you. And, and, and the Heavenly Father wants that from us. He wants us to run to him and say, thank you. Thank you. I don't have much to offer you. This is the little love note I can write. 
I, I have a bunch of brokenness. I don't get my words right all the time. I, I don't know this half as well as I should. I'm still working through a whole bunch of junk in my life, but you've adopted me. You said you loved me, and so I'm bringing you the little bit I have. That's adoption. That's what your father wants from you. He wants you to wake up and run to him. Now, there's another important component to this. For those of you that come from a, a family where you didn't experience that kind of fathering, if you're in this room today and you hear this kind of father, what I want you to know, if you didn't experience this, there is a father who loves you and has adopted you. He's called you into his family. He is the perfect heavenly father. And where our earthly fathers have let us down, and by the way, I'm not perfect. I will let my kids down as well at some point. I'm sure I already have. When they get let down, everyone who is a follower of Christ is a heavenly father who does not let them down, who knows them and calls them in. That's what your father wants from you. Do you run to him? Is this your relationship with him? Do you let him into your childlike faith? He's not looking for perfection from you. He's looking for childlike faith. Now that's my exegesis of the text. Let me walk through what this means for us as a church. I've shared this story a little bit. I'm going to tell what this means for us as a church in two ways, both through history and a little bit of story as well as application. In the first century, Israel, first century Rome, where Jesus lived, there was a practice in that day and age called infant exposure. Infant exposure. You've heard me teach on this before, but to remind us what this was, this was a first century form of abortion. And what it was, was after a child was born, if you did not particularly want this child, you could leave the child on the side of the road and expose the infant to the elements. Literally, there were just piles. There were places where you could leave the child. And over a, a time period, the child would pass. He would die. And that was a brutal practice in the first century Roman Empire. And there were some philosophers, if you read the philosophers in the day, who were kind of hinting like, that's not really a good thing. We shouldn't be doing that. But by and large, it was largely acceptable. No one really said anything. Even if there was an icky factor to it, it was just kind of, well, that's the way we do things. You know how infant exposure came to a screeching halt? It was because Christians stepped in picked up the children and started adopting them and raised them as their own biological children. It changed the world. Now, why would Christians do that? Well, they would do that because of the doctrine of adoption, because they realized they've been adopted. They're called to step into adoption. How could we not care for the infants among us when we were the first ones to be adopted? And they changed the history of the world. Eventually, the politics caught up to the culture that the Christians were setting of adoption, and the law got changed. You see that? It was the Christians who set the culture. It was the Christians who let people know this is what it means to be a Christian. We stand in the gap for the most broken among us, particularly the children. Now, in our day and age, I think the church has done a pretty good job of letting the world know that they're against abortion. On biblical grounds, they have a voice. I think the world's aware, for the most part, that most of the Christian church is united in saying, we're not for abortion because a child is a child in the womb. They know the voice. You know what's missing? The world doesn't just need to know what we're against. They need to know what we're for. And when the voice of saying we're against this is matched by the sacrificial love of Christians literally changing culture by adopting all the children, then it's very hard to argue with the church. 
You see how a culture gets changed? If you're depending on words alone, it's not going to happen. But when you actually live a compelling sacrificial life and you adopt children at the rate that there's none left to adopt because the Christians took care of it, then you just got to change the law. There's nothing else to do but change the law. That's where we're at. And we're up. You and me. The Christians who went before us, they ran their race. They faced their day. And we're up today. The doctrine of adoption runs central to the Christian story. And it's more than politics. This is not politics. This is spiritual warfare. Let me read to you Russell Moore. The protection of children is not charity. It isn't part of a political program thing somewhere between tax cuts and gun rights or between carbon emission caps and National Service Corps. It's spiritual warfare. You know who is most grateful that there is a massive orphan crisis in our country and around the globe? It's Satan. He's the one who manufactures that. And he hates when Christians pick up their Bibles and follow after the historic place Christians once walked. He hates it because it it changes the world. What does this mean for us? For us, this means first and foremost realizing that as a church, if you're a Christian, you've been adopted. You've got a new legal standing with your father. It's your story. You can't cast it off as a second-rate doctrine. It's your story. You've got to learn to work like an adopted child. You've got to learn to function like an adopted child, recognizing your new identity and your new father. But secondly, we have a chance to step in and change the world once again. Here at Park, last year, we kicked off our adoption fund. Our adoption fund. Now, here's what happened. We noticed that here at Park South Loop particularly, but also across the Park network of churches, the Spirit of God was already moving. The amount of people in this church that have already stepped into foster care, safe families, and adoption is startling. Churches this size don't do that. At a church this size, if you have one family who's done anything related to orphan care, that's pretty awesome. We've got over a dozen just at Park South Loop who are directly engaged and then many more who are serving the the whole system as a whole in very direct sacrificial ways. And we notice the Spirit of God's already moving. So then we said, well, let's put our money where our mouth is. Let's actually develop a fund to help pay for adoption. Do you know an international adoption will cost anywhere from $25,000 to $40,000. A domestic adoption will cost from thirty-five dollars to $60,000 today. Add that up. What we said is we don't want for a follower of Christ, a Christian family, we don't want finances to be a barrier to stop you from following through on what God's called us to as Christians. So let's take our money, let's pool it, and let's create a fund. If you're a member here at Park Community Church and you want to step into adoption, we'll pay for up to $20,000 of your adoption. Up to $20,000. We took $70,000 here at South Loop. Our Lincoln Park location added in $25,000, and we've had individual donors give to it as well. And we're sitting on about $120,000 in a fund, and we have at least four families that are going through the process right now, and we've got a whole pipeline of more families talking about it. Let me also say this. Across the city, I can't say this for sure because I haven't talked to these pastors, but a few other big-name churches in the city are in the process of launching their own adoption funds right now. What you are starting in this place is having a cultural impact. Praise God for other churches. This is not competition. Yes, every other church in the city, get after it with us. We're a little church. We want everyone to step into this with us. 
I want you to consider, might you be being called to say yes to adoption? I know it's a step of faith, but that's what Christianity is. Faith is scary. Faith is not easy. Everything that's good in the Christian life that's going to grow you, that's going to make you more like Jesus, is scary. That's the story. Faith is to step into the unknown and trust God and say yes to the thing God calls you to. And it changes you and it's good. Not only are we for adoption directly, but we're also for foster care. Foster care is a huge part of the story and an important part for us to step into. Let me tell you about the foster care system. We were, uh, we're adoptive parents that first fostered our children. Children in the foster care system are placed there because they've been removed from a home. Oftentimes, it's for some pretty bad stuff in Chicago's foster care system. These little children have been through a lot. There are thousands upon thousands of children in Chicago alone who are waiting for a mom and a dad. And they're in the system. They're going from place to place. And people are taking care of them. I'm so grateful that there's a place, there's a roof, and it's not the first century. But they need a mom and a dad. Children need mom and dads. The foster care system, when you enter into that, it's, it's different than adoption. It's a lot of the same stuff, but in foster care, you bring in a whole lot more baggage in some ways because you're bringing a lot of folks into your home that are part of the system. You open your home to attorneys, to social workers, to caseworkers. There, there's all this world of kind of baggage that comes with these little children who have had a journey, and you bring that into your home with you, and you're asked to be a mom and a dad without any real rights yet. You don't really get to dictate anything. You just you have to do all the sacrificial work and then you're at the disposal of everybody else what they say is going to happen. You have no certainty if the child will end up in your home or not, if they'll be sent back. And your hope is that they go back to the biological parent because that would be great for them. It's messy. But we need Christians to step in. Financially, I want you to know what it means. Financially, actually, in the foster care system, the state gives you a stipend to help raise the child each month. And so because they know it's cheaper for them to pay families to raise the children than it is to keep the system going. And so they, they actually are saving money as the state paying you to help raise the children. That's not a reason to do it, but it's good for you to know. They also pay for the adoption. When you adopt out of the foster care system, it's a free adoption. And, and again, that's not the reason to do it, but it's good to know. That's helpful information. And you continue to get that stipend up until the child turns 18 years old to help raise them, even after adoption. We need Christians to step into foster care. Yes, it's messy. Yes, you open your home. But isn't that great when you can think about all these people coming into a Christian home? That's like best case scenario. You bring in all these secular folks who don't know the Lord Jesus, and they have to come interview you, and you get to tell them your heart of adoption because you've been adopted by your heavenly father. What greater testimony and witness do we have as a church? That's amazing. Step into these places. Safe families is a third option. Safe families is like foster care light in a way. It's a shorter stint. When children are removed very temporarily, Safe Families is a Christian organization in Chicago, and you can take a child into your home for two or three weeks, maybe five weeks, maybe four days, and you just provide a safe place while a parent gets a little help to get their, themselves back on track again. And, and you just jump in and you be Christians. The state is so grateful for safe families stepping into these broken places. Some of you will be called to be safe families. I know not everyone is called to adopt or to become directly engaged in this. But I'm convinced that most are. 
Let me say that again. I know that not everyone is called to directly adopt and become direct parents, but as Christians, I'm convinced in this day, most are. This is what changes you. If you're looking to to really walk deeper in your faith, you know, let me close this way. When I look at my journey of being an adoptive dad, I was scared every step of the way. You know, when you look in on someone's Facebook page, and if you're just judging the story based on someone's Facebook page, if you've been following my adoption through my wife's Facebook page, because she's an incredible uh, kind of blogger about our journey, it looks a whole lot easier than it is. I was really scared. In fact, I wasn't even fully on board when we started. We had read the Bible. This is what kicked us off, by the way. It was the Bible. We read this together, and then we were like, well, I think we should maybe consider this, because James 1.27 says true religion is this, to care for the orphan and the widow in their time of need. So what does that mean for us? Well, let's take a step. And I wasn't even ready, but my wife said, let's, let's take the class. And so we prayed, and I said, yes, we said yes. And I was so scared. And I wasn't ready to say yes to the next step, but I was ready for that step. And can I tell you, in the last three years, my faith has grown exponentially. I've learned about my own adoption with my father, my heavenly father, in ways that I never understood before. My wife and I, our marriage is stronger than it's ever been. You know why? Because we've had to turn the TV off and we've had to have some very real conversations. I'll tell you what, you you get in this journey, you're going to have to have some real conversations. How How do you build an attachment with children that aren't yours naturally? How do you navigate through this? How do you... How, how do we be a multi-ethnic, multi-racial family? How do we raise black daughters in Chicago? You know, there's things I know from being a pastor of a multi-ethnic church. I've read a lot of books on this topic. I know you, I'm good for, I, my, I have a, our, we have a multi-ethnic world that we live in. I, 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 there's things I know here and feel here. It's a whole other thing to have daughters. I don't know, I, I was sitting on an airplane yesterday with uh, Nate Payne, who's a pastor on your north location, I said, African-American man, I said, Nate, you're going to have to teach me, man. I don't even know what I don't know. What my daughters are for. What, what, i, I got to start prepping. They're starting to say some things that I'm recognizing. i got some stuff i got to navigate through. And I'll tell you what, this, this journey, you know what that's done? It's brought me closer to... I feel like there's a, there's a oneness with my church family. If you guys have helped me and, and you've been in this with me, and uh, uh, we've learned so even just what it means to, you know, little things. Like we've had so many of our African-American uh, brothers and sisters come over to our house and teach us how to do our girls' hair, show us how, how to do this, introduce us to a world we didn't have any idea about. Just teach us about that. So grateful. But my heart's changed. There's this family tug on things, and it's so Bible, right? Isn't that Bible? It's like it's changing me. My marriage is different. My heart is different. My understanding of the gospel is different. And I would have missed out on all of it if I wouldn't have said yes when I was scared. And I'm still scared. I don't know what tomorrow brings. We're still going through stuff. We've been adopted parents for a year and a half, and it's tough. Oh, but it's so good. And I want you to have that too. The Christian faith is about saying yes to the things of God when you're scared to do it. Because that's what faith is. 
It's reading his word, it's stepping forward, and it's saying, I don't have the answers, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but you're a good heavenly father, and I trust you even though I don't get it all. Don't let your fear of the unknown stop you from being obedient to God's call on your life. You'll miss out on all the joy of obedience. You'll miss out on all the fruit of growth and transformation. And after all, don't forget, in Christ, you were first adopted. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Abba, Father. God, thank you. Lord, we recognize that the work you've done in this church and the work you're doing in our church and the work you're doing in this city right now, God, that is you. It's all you. We are just, we're recipients of divine love. Holy Spirit, I pray for this divine movement in this church. I long for the day. I long for the day when we can look at this church and just see children, so many of them that have been adopted, that are part of this church, and and everyone who's ever given a dollar to this church can say in some way we made that happen. We were part of that. We gave towards seeing this church grow, and God, I pray for the Spirit of God to, to move in such a way that that day comes. May we be culture makers, not just with our words, but with our lives and our actions. Holy Spirit, bring conviction right now, please. Holy Spirit, make us more like the early biblical church. Holy Spirit, overcome our fears. Draw us closer together. Make us more like Jesus. Don't let passages like this just fly by without really dealing with them. Let us be those that reflect deeply this week on your word, we pray. In Jesus' perfect name, amen.